Good morning. Thank you very much to Neil for reading uh, for us. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like I wouldn't mind being a teenager again <laughs> after that really, really inviting announcement that Jess made to us. Oops. What? Ah, there we go. Got it. I, I have to be gentle. Just a reminder. Great. Why don't we start by praying? I will pray for us. Father, we thank you so much. Um, I just think of Roger's words that you see us. I thank you that, God, you do not only see us, but you choose to be with us. That you presence yourself among us. Think of the words of Moses that you gave to Moses that still echoes to this day. Gather my people that they may hear my word. So Father, we gather to you. We gather now to hear your word and we pray, Holy Spirit of God, won't you come and be our teacher? Won't you come and speak to us? Won't you come and speak to us in mercy, in grace, with power? Amen. So our main text uh, this morning um, takes us right at the beginning of Prophet Jeremiah's um, ministry as a prophet. And um, Jeremiah, I think, was around 16 or 18 years old, as most uh, scholars point to us. And he has this incredible encounter with God as he was going about his uh, usual life, uh, perhaps even grappling with the issues of life, and maybe like some of us this morning, asking questions, am I here for something. Does my life count in the grand scheme of things? Maybe it's not the kind of questions that you are asking this morning. You might be saying, I am too old for that. Or you might be saying, life is kind of busy at the moment. There is just a lot going on. Things are a little bit crazy. I am just taking it one day at a time. I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. So this encounter that Jeremiah has with God reveals to him a different way of looking at his own life. Maybe different to the kind of life that he had known for the last 18 years or the kind of life that he had seen around him in a sense where life begins when you're born, 
as you get older, you're taught to look after yourself and be independent. In today's terms, you go to school, if you're fortunate, go to university, find legal means to look after yourself, have as much fun as you can, grow old, and maybe retire with enough means to do the kind of things that you've always wanted to do that you never got a chance to see and visit places that you never got to see. Kind of tick off the bucket list. I think this encounter that Jeremiah has with God pulls us into another way of looking at life. So when, Jer- when God encounters Jeremiah, it was as if God had leaped from the background and appeared right in front of him. God had moved from being God on the margins to God at the center of his life. God became a present and a living reality for Jeremiah. This is quite a familiar pattern. In the Bible, we see God revealing himself to ordinary men and women just like us. He lays hold of them and invests purpose in their lives. Hey, I've got a great purpose for your life. Your life is significant. So much of my own plans and purposes are wrapped up in your life. We see this throughout Scripture. You look at right at the beginning, God appears to Abraham, a man who was old and past his prime by human standards, but not according to God. And God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3, In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And as Jess reminded us a couple of weeks ago, you see the story in Joshua 2 of a woman called Rahab, a woman who had a dodgy reputation, who had lived on the margins of society most of her life, and in a moment, she comes alive to the purposes of God, and she becomes a central figure in the nation of Israel, securing the promised land. And the list goes on and on. I want to invite you this morning to consider your own life as we look at how Jeremiah, despite his unwillingness, despite an overwhelming awareness of his own limitations, his immaturity, his lack of gifting, is beautifully swept over by this revelation of God lovingly drawing him into his purposes. So the first thing that God says to Jeremiah is this, before I formed you, I knew you. So God is reminding Jeremiah that Jeremiah was not the author of his life, that God was. That Jeremiah was living in the middle of a God story. And this is echoed by the psalmist in Psalm 139, verse 16, when he says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Yet before one of them, 
came to be. I remember a few weeks ago, um, we were driving in the neighborhood with uh, my family. And um, as we were driving, we came across the old house that Jolene and I used to live in before we had our boys. And uh, we immediately said to our six-year-old boy, Ethan, look, that's the house that mom and dad used to live in before you were born. And he said to us, was I in mommy's tummy at that time? And we said, no. And it clearly stumped this boy. If you know him, he is never short of words. And there was deafening silence in the car as he tried to work out what that means. Where was he? But here, God reminds Jeremiah, God reminds us that God knew Jeremiah. God loved Jeremiah. God cared for Jeremiah since eternity past. What a reassuring thing for us to know this morning that there is nothing random about our lives. Our lives mattered to God since eternity past. But this also is very practical implications for us, that long before we got to ask questions about life, about meaning, about purpose, that God had already crafted the answers. No longer do we need to run from here to there looking for answers, that we can go to God. We can go to God who delights to reveal the meaning and the purpose of our lives. I find helpful what uh, Eugene Peterson, the late author and theologian, who is famous for writing the message or translating the message, Bible version once said, and he says this, my identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. There is something previous to what I think about myself, and it is what God thinks of me. I remember the very first time that I met uh, my wife, Jolene's parents. I was anxious like any other boyfriend in a serious relationship would be meeting the parents. But I was doubly anxious, if I can say that. Because the very first time that I was meeting them, I was going to ask them if I could marry their daughter. <laughs> Clearly, I was uh, a man on a mission. But... Even more so, I was anxious because, as some of you who know us can visibly see, that there are very visible differences between Jolene and I. Our son likes to say that, Dad, you are chocolate, and Mom is caramel. So I was anxious. Are they going to 
accept me? Will they give me their blessing? And um, I remember the thing that really calmed me down was her dad pulling me aside. He had obviously seen, you know, the anxiety. And he says to me, um, don't worry. We know everything about you. Um, Jolene's sister has told us everything about you. And uh, bless her. And, uh, you know, it, the whole weekend was settled, just me knowing that they know everything about me. But the reality is that the everything that they knew about me was the kind and the good stuff. But what we see here, when God says to Jeremiah that he knows him, is a God who knows everything, in capital letters, is a God who knows the tidy bits, the untidy bits, the good, the bad, the ugly. There is full disclosure, but yet there is complete acceptance. You see what this, do, this does for us, brothers and sisters, is that it opens a way that it smashes all the barriers of shame and guilty. It lifts up the pressure to prove ourselves that we can be real with God. We can come just as you are this morning. You can come to God. Psalm 103, verse 13 to 14. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. See how this makes repentance easy. See how this makes receiving the gift of salvation easy. That we don't have to wait and dust ourselves off. We don't have to wait to get our act together. Come now. Let us settle this matter, says the Lord. Isaiah 1 verse 18. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I think there is more here. We could easily take the foreknowledge of God to mean that God only sees things before they happen. But if we read further in verse 5, we see that God did not only knew Jeremiah's future, he set it in motion. God does not only create us in the womb, he sets us apart. So God says to Jeremiah, before you were born, I set you apart. So God is saying to Jeremiah, I chose you. I called you. I qualified you. I did not just create you, but I have invested purpose in you. 
This is not only true for Jeremiah, this is true for you and I. What a beautiful reminder this morning, brothers and sisters, that you and I were created for more. We are created for more, more than just us keeping our noses clean or just providing for our families. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Beloved of God, we carry God's plans for Blobeck. We carry God's plans and purposes for this nation. We carry God's vision for this generation. Your life is significant, and it is rooted in the purposes of God. What was at stake for Jeremiah, and what is at stake for us is this. Do you live your life based on your own vision or perhaps other people's vision of your life, the expectations that people have placed on you, or do you let that go and embrace God's vision for your life? I think some of us this morning, we have lived too long under the disempowering opinions of ourselves, I will never be good enough. Some of us, we've lived far too long under the disempowering opinions that other people have on us. Let Paul's attitude in 1 Corinthians 4.3 be yours this morning, where Paul says, as a matter of fact, it matters very little what you or any man thinks of me, I do not even take my opinion of myself too seriously. But that doesn't justify me before God, for only God is my true judge. Be set free this morning. Be set free to be all that God has called you to be. It's amazing how God engages Jeremiah. In a sense, God engages Jeremiah's head. He gives him something to think about, something to consider. You know what, Jerry? Long, long time ago, before you were born, I knew all about you. He gives him a bit of science. You know what? It is I who knitted you together in your mother's womb. But God does not only engage Jeremiah's head, he engages his heart as he reminds Jeremiah that Jeremiah mattered to God long, long, even from eternity past. So he engages his heart, he engages his head. I find helpful what uh, Tim Keller once said. He said that to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is well a lot like being loved by God 
It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our own selfish righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. But friends, Jeremiah wasn't just known and loved. He was set apart for a task. So God does not only engage Jeremiah's head and his heart, he engages Jeremiah's hands as it were. God had a task for Jeremiah to accomplish. God had a message for Jeremiah to take to his generation. And we see in the book of Jeremiah how Jeremiah confronts the wickedness of his time and warns the Israelites of the consequences of life without God. But yet Jeremiah holds out so much hope. If you read Jeremiah, you encounter some of the sweetest and most precious words that God has ever put in the mouth of a, prof of a prophet to tell to his people. I think of the verse that Roger spoke of this morning, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, where God says, For I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, not to do you bad, but to give you hope and a future. What sweet encouragement that is. Yes, we may not all be called in a specific way that Jeremiah was called to be a prophet to the nations, but all of us, men and women, whether you are a full-time pastor or stay-at-home mom, employed, unemployed, retired, or a student, we are called and set apart for the purposes of God. We are called to love and serve God in worship. Paul in 1 Ephesians 12 reminds us that we are destined, we are set apart and appointed in Christ to live our lives to the praise of His glory. And if you read Romans 15 from verses 8 to 11, it's all about worship. And if you come to verse 9, it says, so that the Gentiles may worship God for His mercy. And it is written, I will praise you among the Gentiles or among the nations, as some translations do, and sing to your name. So we are called by God for the world to overhear our worship. That the church is not just the believers gathered, we are called to go and love and serve the world. That we are called not only to worship God in the four corners of this auditorium, but we are called to sing His praise to that neighbor that we've only waved at from a distance, to that impossible colleague to deal with at work, even to those friends or family that look like they've got all together without God, at least from the outside. 
as we bring the good news to unbelievers, what Luke talks of as the good news that will cause joy for all the people. As we communicate the hope that we have in God and as we show what it means to know the love and the mercy and the grace of God. But the reality is that the gospel does not only convert unbelievers. The gospel also builds up believers. We are called to love and save one another in fellowship, discipling each other to maturity as every man and woman use their time, their talents, their treasure to serve the body. Ephesians 4, verse 15 to 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So God engages our heads, engages our hearts, He engages our hands for His purposes. I just sense maybe for some of us this morning, God is saying, I see your busy hands, but I want to engage your heart afresh. I want to restore the joy of salvation afresh. Since for some this morning, there is a call to action. Since God's saying, I see your heart, I see your love for me, but I want you to stretch out your hands. You've been traveling way too light. I want you to take on some weight. I want you to embrace responsibility. Don't just tag along. You have a part to play in my story. You have a part to play in what I am doing through and in this church. I think of a time when we were still um, in Mauritius a couple of years ago, and um, we're going through a lot of changes in our lives. We just moved from one part of the island uh, to another and joined a new church. And at that time, uh, some of you may know this couple, uh, Wally and Shirley were uh, in town. Uh, Wally and Shirley um, planted a church across the road called Life Changes. So they were in town doing some leadership training uh, at this church, and we got to invite them uh, for dinner. And uh, as we were having dinner, they uh, began to ask us, so how are you settling um, into this um, new church? And um, I remember us saying, um, you know, we are just trying to... Um, get to know people and, um, and settle down. 
And uh, I remember them saying to us in a very loving way, do not remain on the fringes. It's good to take time to get to know people, but do not just take along. You are too good to just take along. I don't usually do this, but I want to invite you to say to somebody next to you, you are too good to take along. I, I also sense God saying to some of us this morning, I see your wounds. Receive healing this morning. Take risks with people again. There's an incredible story in the book of Acts in chapter 15 about a young man called John Mark. Uh, John Mark experienced a very humiliating failure early on in his ministry. Um, and although Paul would later write on in Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, saying God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable, at that time, Paul would not let or would not give John Mark a second chance because John had deserted them. When the going got tough, he left the mission field and went back home. But his relative, a man known for encouraging Barnabas, would not let John Mark become a victim of his past. And he pulls him with him. And together, they were used mightily by God as they multiplied the mission uh, of the early church. I just sense for some this morning, God's saying, be patient with failure. Be patient with your own failure. Be patient with the failure of others. Embrace a kind memory. Embrace a kind vision for you and for others. Don't always reference to the past. You look at the New Testament, it is only but good things to say about David. Embrace a kind memory. Be set free this morning. Be set free. Receive grace. Grace upon grace to be all that God has called you to be and to live a life rooted in the purposes of God. I want to invite the band to come up. And as I finish, I want to read a poem uh, for us. 
So this poem was uh, written by a man called C.T. Studd, who was born into a very wealthy family um, and was also quite a talented cricketer. For those who enjoy cricket, his name is engraved on the Ashes Trophy. And uh, he left professional cricket and much wealth to be a missionary to Africa and India and China. And C.T. Studd writes this, Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life. It will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays, I must fulfill living for self or in his will. Only one life, it will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me so, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life, it will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow. Thy word to keep faithful and true whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life, only one life, it will soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn from the world now let me turn living for thee and thee alone bringing thee pleasure on thy throne only one life it will soon be past only what's done for Christ will last 
only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I will hear the call, I know I will say it was worth it all. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Can I ask us to stand and we're going to sing together?